Um, are you guys ready for God's word today? Are you ready to, to hear? How many are ready to hear God's word? How many want to be changed? You say, man, I came today to be changed by the word of God. Like five of you are ready to be changed. The rest of you, what are y'all here for? And so, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And we've been in a series of, of messages called Who Needs Church? And what we've been talking about, I think, is, is a good topic. And that is, this is not, conden- nothing about this is to be condescending or condemning or, or like, you just need to go to church because I'm the pastor and I said so. But what we said is, hey, there's some, there's some trends in our culture, in our, in our nation. When it comes to church attendance, people who say they attend church go about one to two times a month on average. One to two times, the average is really three times every eight weeks. It's kind of the average from people who say that they, they are church attenders, that they are of the faith, and, 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 and yes, I have a church, then they go about three times every eight weeks. And while we celebrate any time someone comes to the house of God, we think that's incredible. It's giving of your time. You are here. We, we don't want to make light of any of that. We're kind of asking the question, if there is real value in gathering in, in church with other believers, could you really experience that value if you only did something three times every 60 days, right? Like, like a gym membership. We talked about that, right? Like, like, man, I want to get in shape. I've been working out three times every 60 days. My abs aren't ripped up yet. I can't, no biceps, but I'm just believing if I, if I just keep on going, right? I have three times every 60 days. I'm eating, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating healthy three times every, got three, three clean meals for every 57 cheat meals then, man, I don't know why I'm not seeing the benefit yet, but I know if I just hold steady on the course, like surely. And so what we said is that if I don't see the value, the other thing is I don't see the value in it if I have a bad experience, then I won't fight through that bad experience. Like, have y'all ever had Brussels sprouts? How many of you people like Brussels sprouts? Oh my God. What is wrong with y'all? I'm telling you straight up. I had a Brussels sprout last year and (laughs) I'm totally telling you the truth. I had a Brussels sprout last year. I was meeting uh, one of our elders for lunch and he had gotten creative with the appetizer orderings at BJ's and ordered Brussels sprouts. And he said, I was trying, I know you're eating healthy. I was trying to find us a healthy appetizer. Thanks, thanks, man. How about we eat a napkin? You know what I mean? It's like, anyways, so I'm like, okay. He's like, they're supposed to be really good. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try one. So I, I ate one. It was the same experience I'd had three years ago when I ate a Brussels sprout. It was like, my God, what has happened? My tongue is screaming at me. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like literally it went on strike. It actually packed his bags, jumped out on the table with a little picket sign, no more Brussels sprouts, no more Brussels sprouts. Like this is the experience that I had. And what I know is because I see no value in Brussels sprouts. They're kind of like turnips. Who eats turnips? Okay, who eats turnips? Oh my, same people eat Brussels sprouts. I can tell you that right now. 
I can tell you when God made the turnip, when God made the turnip, he, he, he got it. He said, he said to the Son and the Holy Spirit, y'all try this. They took a bite of it and said, no, that's a mistake. That didn't turn out. So God said, we'll bury it so nobody can find it. And you people dug them up. You straight, you dug them up. Turnips are only good if someone breaks into your house in the middle of the night because you can throw them at them. And if it hits them, it'll render them unconscious. Anyways, because I see no value in Brussels sprouts, then if I had a bad experience, which I've now had two bad experiences with Brussels sprouts, I'm not going to fight through those bad experiences and thoughts and all that to have another Brussels sprout. And if people don't see the value of gathering together, they don't see the value of the church. If we don't understand, see, I think there's a disconnect because I think in the modern day culture, um, I don't mean this a bad way, but I think we, we, we as church leaders have tried to appeal to people by making church more entertaining, but it's become less inspiring. And, and we've, we've made it more entertaining to, to watch but it, but it isn't as life transforming. Uh, in a way, we just kind of tell everybody they're okay. Just come back next week. And you're like, well, he told me I was okay last month. Do I need to go back if that's the value of this thing? And if I don't see the value, then I won't fight through it. And so we're talking about, should you, should you fight through your bad experience? Is there value in the church? Like, should you go more than once or twice a month? Like, why would, what would you get out of that if you went? So hopefully you've been tracking along in this series. Um, today we're going to continue just exploring what the value is. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer of Hebrews is, is unknown. Some say Paul. Some say the artist formerly known as Paul. Some say one of his cohorts or, or, or you know, one of the guys with him. There's several different, you know, maybe Apollos or whatever, because the writing style is similar to Paul. That's why a lot of people just say Paul. But anyways, the writer of Hebrews is writing, if, as you remember, he is writing to Jewish believers who are being persecuted because of their faith. That they, they, are, they are Jewish, so, so they're Jews, but they have chosen to believe in Jesus. So there are Orthodox Jews. Those are Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus. We have a lot of Orthodox Jews today uh, in our nation around the world. And then there are Messianic Jews. There are Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah. The sad thing is that Orthodox Jews believe in, in Yahweh, the same God that we believe in. The problem is Jesus said, there's no way to the Father except through me. So believing there's a God is not enough to save you. You have to come to that place of accepting Christ was the sacrifice, big, big theological word, the propitiation for all sin. You have to come to that place of faith in Christ. Just believing there's a God doesn't get you there. That's the sad thing. But, but these are Jewish people who believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's writing to, to kind of that keep the faith, keep going. You can do it, um, endure the persecution, hang in there. And, and he's really talking to them about the difference because they're thinking about leaving the faith. So he's talking to them a lot about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, but between the law, if you will, and, and grace, what grace is done. And so then we get to Hebrews 10. Verse 24, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together 
as some are in the habit of doing. See, they had the same problem then. Same problem then. Believers are not coming together. Is there value? Should they? Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't give up meeting together as some of them have to do, but encourage one another all the more. Encourage one another all the more, especially as you see the day. That word is capitalized, the day. That is because he's pointing to the second coming of Christ or the return of Christ. And so he's saying, hey, as you start approaching Christ's return, you need to meet more, not less. And so he's telling them, you need to meet more. And here's why you need to meet more. Because you, you need people to help you reach your potential. Anyone who has reached their potential did not reach it by themselves. Ask Michael Jordan. Right? Ask Kobe Bryant. Ask Tiger Woods. Anyone who has reached their potential did not reach it by themselves. And that's what the writer of Hebrews, look, you don't want to miss out on reaching your potential and you don't want to wash out. You don't want to miss out and you don't want to wash out. You don't want to fall behind. You don't want to end up short. You want to finish strong and you want to reach your potential. And for that reason, you should gather together. He said, why? Why should you gather together? Because, because when you gather together, others can spur you on. Spur you. I call this message the potential of your posse. The potential of your posse. Can we, can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word, for your grace, for your love. In this moment, God, help us to hear the words from your Holy Spirit, the words that will bring truth and life, that will guide, direct, God, even convict if necessary, but, but God, those words that will be transforming for us as we apply them. Help us to hear them. Help us to apply them in Jesus' name. Amen. The potential of your posse. So I have some spurs here today. These are spurs. Um, I never know what I'll have up here. Um, I'm not a cowboy, as you may have guessed. Um, I did one time have a Shetland pony. Um, really, they got one vowel long, wrong in its name. Because it was a devil. And there's an explicative that would have been better describing the pony. Anyways, um, that was my horse experience, and that's another story. But, but the writer of Hebrews, this is what he says. He says, hey, for, for you not to miss out, and for you not to wash out, then you need... You need to be spurred from time to time. Um, you need to be spurred. There are, there are four ways really to communicate with a horse as I understand that you're training. Uh, you can talk to the horse, you know, a horse of a horse, of course, of course. Uh, you can talk to a horse. Um, if you're my generation, like, what was that? It's Mr. Ed. Go find it on YouTube. It's talking horse. It's awesome. Hello, Wilbur. Um, you can talk to the horse. You can use your hands with the reins, communicate. To, you can use your seat, how you move in the saddle. Um, and then you can move the different parts. You can use the different parts of your legs. Those are naturally called natural training um, tools or, or, or you can train it naturally that way um, just by using voice commands, hand commands, seat commands. Got to watch how we do that. We'll be accused of dancing. Um, <laughs> 
And then we can, we can uh, use the different parts of our legs. But there's an unnatural training aid. There are also unnatural training aids. And spurs are one of those. Now, spurs are, are used to get a better response from the animal, to, to enforce or, or, if you will, um, to confirm and affirm the, the commands that are being given. Um, there, there are times when a horse is not reaching its potential. Maybe it's not responding quick enough. Maybe it's not responding in the right ways. And when a horse is lagging behind its potential in training, the trainer most likely will use something like spurs, which can be pressed into the horse's side. If used correctly, they're not hurting the horse, um, but rather they are motivating the horse. They are agitating just enough to get the horse to pay attention to the command that you're giving the horse. Does that, does that make sense? Whatever. And so, so what they're saying is sometimes in training a horse, in fact, you don't actually use these if the horse is lazy. You don't actually use spurs because then it teaches the horse to only respond to the, the command that comes from the spur. And so, so a lazy horse may never reach his potential, but, but for horses that are trying to reach their potential, the, the spurs can be a great training aid to reinforce the commands that are given to cause the horse to reach a, a responsiveness and ultimately their potential in the training. The writer of Hebrews is writing and he's saying, hey, I don't want you to miss out on all that God wants to do through you. I don't want you to wash out on God's plan or finishing strong. And so you're going to need someone to spur you on. Now, this is not, um, this is not a passive verb, if you will, spur. Uh, it's only used twice in the New Testament. One time we see here in Hebrews, the other times, the other time we see in the book of Acts, Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are having a disagreement because they're going to set out on a trip. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, I'm not taking John Mark because last time he, he forsook us, like, like he cut bait, like he left us, deserted us. I'm not placing my hands, my life in his hands. And, and it says they, there arose a sharp, same word, disagreement. And so I want you to understand that, that the spurs are, are not just a passive suggestion. No, 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 no. No, they're an agitation aimed at motivation. The writer of Hebrews then tells us that people are actually your spurs. You can spur one another on and that you're someone else's spur. That we actually need people that agitate us. We need people that irritate us a little bit. I, I love all the, the iron sharpens iron t-shirt. Iron man, iron sharpens iron. Do you know how iron sharpens iron? You knock the iron against the iron, knocking all the rough edges off of it until they're both sharp. In other words, they irritate you into maturity. Do you know what so-and-so said? I'm just leaving the church. See, you, you, you missed an opportunity to grow. I didn't like his point number three. I think he was preaching at me. 
I know he saw my Instagram post. I think he's making that a, I'm leaving there. And here you are. What you do is you run from the agitation and you choose comfort and you just become a lazy horse. Because God actually gives us people to from time to time put a little pressure in our side. From time to time, God, God uses people in our life group to say, hey, you know, the last four guys you met on Tinder didn't work out so well. I know this is, you're in love. Again, this is the fourth time this month. I'm thinking, I'm thinking you need to change the, the, the process by which you come into relationship because swapping rice not working for you, honey. You need some people in your life group saying, hey, I, I hear you talking about your wife, but I'm going to tell you, I'd have slapped you too. I, I, think you're, I think you're being dumb. I do. I, I don't think you got that together. You, you need somebody. When you're sitting there saying, you know, it's been a hard week and I'm just, I think I'm going to quit. You need somebody saying, well, what would you go back to? I thought you decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Weeping endures for a night. You've been weeping long enough. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and change the world. What the writer of Hebrews tells us is that we, we need people. If we're going to reach our potential, we actually need people who will spur us on. No one ever reached their potential by themselves. We all have people. So then if we jump to Ephesians chapter four, you can jump there to Ephesians four. If not, it's on the screen. But in Ephesians four, we, we see the types of people. Because there's kind of two categories of people that Paul is talking to the church. And he's saying, you need both these categories of people to, to see God's plans and purposes to reach your potential. Now, here's the thing. God is the steward of his promise, but you are the steward of your potential. Anyone who does not reach their potential has but only one person to blame. God will watch over his word to perform it. He is the steward of his promise to you, but you are the steward of the potential that he has given you. And so God gives us people to spur us on to love and good works. Ephesians 4 talks about them a little bit. Verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, why did he, first of all, who are these people? Now, these, these are a classification of people. Um, some would use in, in Bible school, they would say offices, that these are actually established. Not, they're not just people, but there's a spiritual office for a well-rounded church. You, you, need, you need some people in it that, that step into the spiritual office of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Um, now, most of us are okay with the latter three. We're okay if there are pastors and teachers and evangelist. But if someone walks up and says, I'm an apostle, you, you're like, that's cringy because you probably had a bad experience with someone that gave themselves that title, right? Or if someone says, I'm a prophet, you're like, uh-uh, not today, Jesus or devil or whoever. I don't even know. And, and so 
And so I understand that, but yet the Bible is still the Bible. So let's, let's lay our bad experiences aside and talk about God's good plan. All right. And so God had a plan. So he put some people in places that are anointed by the Holy Spirit with particular roles from which you benefit. Are you with me? And so it says Christ himself gave. So in Romans 12, there's motive gifts that the Bible says God gives us. If you want Bible, I know y'all want to go to Bible school this morning. And then 1 Corinthians 12, there are spiritual gifts that are, that are motivated or produced in us by the Holy Spirit, right? Gifts of faith, working miracles, those type of things. They're, they're in the Bible too. And then in Ephesians 4, there's the gifts that Christ gave the church so it could be successful. And these are the five offices or five categories of people that Christ gives the church. They're a gift, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, verse, verse 12, this is why they were given, to equip his people for works of service. In other words, Hebrews said, you are God's masterpiece. Now, we all love to be God's masterpiece, right? Some of us are more Picasso. Some of us are Mona Lisa right? We are all God's masterpiece. And we love that. But the second part of that verse says that you're God's masterpiece. One version says workmanship that, that, that you are aimed at, that God has good works for you to walk in that he has determined. In other words, God created you on purpose for a purpose. So it's not just enough to be pretty. God made you to do something. Right? I mean, you're all pretty. I can see you. You're all the prettiest people I've seen today. Don't tell the other services. But, but God didn't just make you pretty. He made you purposeful. Right? And so in order for you to, to reach that potential of the purpose, he has given you some people to equip you for it. Why? So the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Believe it or not, you're not just trying to outrun the person next to you because some people think they're spiritually okay. Well, I've been in church more than him. But you're not measured against him. You're measured against your potential. You're measured against God's plan for you, not what your neighbor's doing. That's how we come into the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, everything on YouTube, everything on Instagram, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, there's some spurs, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me give you four goals that we just read. These are not the points, but these are subpoints under the introduction B, okay? Um, if you're an outline OCD person, it's like, oh, hey, now we're in B, and he'll get to the points later. Woo! Anyways, um, four things that I saw in that text, that God is using some people, and, and he's using these people, number one, um, to, to help me achieve my potential, or we'll say destiny. That God has a purpose and plan for me, and he uses people to help me reach my potential or my destiny. The second thing is he gives me people um, 
to help me in maturity. So that is to become the person God wants me to be, he uses people, and to achieve the outcome that he has purposed me for, he uses people. But then, so, so there is destiny, right? That's my potential of my purpose. There's maturity. There's the potential of my person. Then there's stability, not being tossed around. Well, I, I heard on YouTube the other day, or I saw this person on YouTube. I read this on, I follow this person on Instagram and they say this, you know, there is a new way of thinking every day. I've met people who are followers of Jesus and they'll start talking. And I never forget, we had this person one time, a wonderful Christian person, and they're just talking. They start reading about this book that they're reading that's not the Bible, but all of a sudden it's starting to gain importance like it is the Bible. And then they start talking about the stars and studying the moon. And I'm like, whoa, let me help you with something. Let me help you right now. I'm going to help you. That is wind. Those are waves. That is not the word of God. And so we need stability, right? So he wants, so, so he's talking about, hey, I, I want you to reach your destiny, maturity, stability. And then he said, then you'll be built up and strong. Milk does a body good, everybody. Built up and strong. And it, that's vitality, strength. So wouldn't it be great if, if I were locked in on my destiny, my potential, my purpose, I was becoming the person that God created me to be. That's maturity. But then I had that stability that no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, I was grounded, as the Bible says, in love and growing and lose my job, get a diagnosis. This person posts that. That person walks out. I read this. I see that. Culture says this. Media says that. No, I am grounded. I am stable. I'm not being tossed around in this crazy world of culture, but I know in whom I have believed in him, and I believe he is able to keep me against that day. That is stability and then strength, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? He strengthens me, right? And so now, now wouldn't that be a way to live? Yeah. Well, he's saying to live that way, I got to have some people. So write this down, two, two things really quickly. God gives us people to be over us. God gives us people to be over us. Because this list of people we see in verse 11 that Jesus is giving you, this is actually what we would call spiritual authority. Yep, I use the word. <laughs> authority. Anybody else have authority issues? Be honest, you're in church, Jesus sees you. I see that hand. Oh, I see that hand. Bless you, Lord. I have authority issues. You can read my progress reports from, I remember, you know, um, this one teacher said, I, I'm just not going to allow Marty to talk to me as though I'm his peer. That was my second grade teacher. <laughs> I've got some authority, authority issues. I don't have a problem with the rules I agree with. Um, <laughs> anybody else feel that way? Like if I like the law, like I think speed limits are good suggestions, <laughs> depending on what kind of hurry I'm in. And what the conditions are the road. Because if it's raining at nighttime, yeah, you know, 60 miles an hour, that's probably a good idea. But if it's sunshine and there's not a lot of traffic, why should we relegate the speed and velocity at which we move through life? Just because somebody put a number on a sign, it's obviously safer. I was flying one time and, and, and you know, they have all these rules when you fly. 
Like you got to put this bag there and you got to put that bag there and serve that bag's not under the seat. It could hit you. I'm like, I guess that'd make me stupid then, wouldn't it? Like, why are you worried about a bag? What, what if it hits? What if it does? Is that really, is that really your problem here? We got to make a rule on this? I never forget, man, we're getting ready to land. And for me, being on an airplane is not a comfortable experience for me anyway. I'm an Amazon, and I swear anybody that designs an airplane is Oompa Loompa. And <clears throat> I'm serious. They're all going out there at Boeing. Oompa Loompa Loompa. Look how close we can get the seats together. They'll just take their legs off and put them overhead. Um, and so when I sit down, the person that's in front of me seems to apparently love me because they always want to lay in my lap. And that's the first thing they do, crush my knees. Oh, and I'm like, I so hope you're comfortable right now. I can't breathe. I can't move. So I lean my seat back, just try to, you know, where I can at least breathe, right? We're coming in for a landing, you know, and they, you got to turn off all your stuff and put away all your stuff and, and you got to pull your seat back up. So I pull my seat up, but it's, you know, I missed by about an inch, right, apparently. Now, I can't see the seat. I'm so big. It's so small. It's just, at this point, it's a faith chair because you can't see it. It looks like I'm just hovering, right? <laughs> and this flight attendant comes up, and she starts bumping on the back. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Um, got to recline your seat up. First of all, I don't think recline up. <laughs> that sounds to me like you're confused. Recline up. You can't recline up. You can unrecline, I guess. But, and I'm looking, I'm like, it's up. No, sir, it, it's, it's off by this way. I'm like, are you telling me right now that if my seat is this far off, we're going to crash? Like that is what's holding us in the air right now? Is this inch of moving my one seat out of 300? I don't have a hard problem. Like, I think some rules are great if I agree with them, but I have some authority issues. And I've found most people in our culture have authority issues. A lot of people, and, and I can I tell you this humbly as a pastor, I found a lot of Christian people have authority issues. They'll walk with you as long as they agree with you. And the moment you don't, they're gone. And what I say is in that opportunity, they have lost a chance for destiny, maturity, stability, and vitality. Now, let me back up and say, I know there are bad spiritual leaders, just like there are bad church attenders. Yeah. And I know people, spiritual leader, put this on me, you know, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I've made Instagram before for all the wrong reasons because people didn't like me. Woohoo! Some of the people that say the worst things about, about me and, and even some of our pastors, you know what it comes out of? Us trying to help them. Because, hey, you're in error right here. This is, this, is, this is bad. You're not bad, but this doesn't work. We're going to help you. We've, we've sat people down and said, hey, you've got brokenness and it's coming out and it's hurting other people in our church. And we're not going to leave you there, but we got to talk about it because you're harming other people. And when we do that, especially if it's a leader, what you have to know is we pay for the process of healing and we oversee it personally. Now, that never gets put on Facebook, right? That never makes Instagram. What happens sometimes people leave then because it's like, you know, I, I remember we had a person one time who was 
praying for people and sharing words that were not from the Lord. I don't know another way to say it. They, they, they were very condemning and very hurtful. And this, I thought, was a wonderful person. I believe they still are. And I pulled in, pulled them, and their husband pulled them in and said, hey, you know what? We got to talk about this because this is, and no, that's what I'm hearing from the Lord. I said, trust me, I've known him a long time. This is not what he says. This doesn't line up with scripture. I'm not condemning. I'm saying we want to help. We want to put you in a process. We need to understand, and this is all I said, we need to understand where these words are coming from and why, they're, why are they coming out condemning with no hope, just in judgment. And of course, they got mad and, and left and, and they t- tried to tell everybody how, how terrible we are. Now, here's what I'm saying that. What was sad to me is I understand, you know, when you're a pastor, you understand part of what you deal with is you have sick sheep, hurting sheep, and, and sometimes they bite and sometimes they get mad. And when they get mad, they try to get as many other sheep as they can and all leave and talk about how bad you are. That's, I've, I've done church my whole life. I get that part. That's not sad to me. What's sad to me is they missed an opportunity for destiny, maturity, stability, and vitality. Here's what Paul said, Um, Romans 13, verse 1, it says, let everyone be subject. How many people? Oh, everyone. (laughs) Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Look at this, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He says it twice in one verse. God established authority. Every authority that exists was established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I'm just reading the Bible to you. And what I look at is what it says, number one, is that God is the author of authority. Of every authority, it says. Of every authority. God is the author. In other words, he is saying, if God, if if there is someone in office, if there is someone in authority, God's responsible. That's why every president we have is my president. President Trump, my president. President Obama, my president. President Bush, my president. He gave us cool words like strategery. (laughs) That's how bad he was. He made up words. I'm with him. I've made up lots of words. (laughs) Bill, Billery, my president. (laughs) Reagan, hmm. Bring it back, Lord. Anyways, I'm just saying, I love me some Reagan. I love me some Reagan. Anyways, but I'm just saying, he says, every authority that God puts, God is the author of authority. Spiritual authority, whether it's, it's natural authority, God is the author of authority. And, and what he said is that, that your willingness, if you will, to, to respond or submit to authority determines your success. In other words, the depth of your submission determines the height of your success. 
that when I don't surrender or submit to the authorities that God has placed in my life, I actually miss out on that opportunity for destiny and maturity and stability and vitality. That, that is what he's saying. Um, Adrian Rogers, who was, I think, three times the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he has some cool quotes, but really smart guy. But this was one I liked. He said, we will never be over those things that God has sent or set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender. Look at this. We will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender. And that's what Paul is saying is God's placed some people over you. He's saying that to the Romans and he's saying that also to the Ephesians. He's like, hey, God's placed some people over you. He gave, Jesus gave, they're a gift. Jesus gave pastors and teachers and evangelists. He gave them to you for a reason, for a purpose. And then he says this to the Romans. He's like, but if you resist those authorities, you're resisting what God has for you. Let me say it this way. My response to the authority I can see reveals my reverence for the God I can't see. My response to the authority I can see reveals my reverence for the God I can't see. He, he gave us some people to spur us. And sometimes if a pastor has to sit down or a leader has to sit down and say, hey, we need to talk about this. I think we need to make an adjustment. It's something not, not quite right here. That's just a little spur to say, we want to see you reach your potential. It's never going to be done condescending or, or, or condescending or, or, or condemning, but we're saying, hey, we want, we want you to reach your, your potential. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. Here's what that says. I'm going to be accountable to God for how I led you. Like sometimes I've had to tell church people, even when I wasn't the senior pastor and even when I wasn't on staff, I've had to tell people, you know what? It's not your job to get them. God will take care of it. See, I'm responsible for how I lead you. You're responsible for how well you're led. We'll both be judged accordingly. There's a greater judgment, I think, on leaders, but we will be judged on how well we lead. Now, if you're sitting here, well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, because you're the senior pastor. You're the guy at the top. Oh, no, 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 no. Not the guy at the top. I'm not. Um, I'm the guy who planted the church, uh, worked here for free for several years, and then created an eldership team and gave them the right to fire me. And made them my accountability on whether I'm doing my job. Now, now I don't know. If you're a businessman, I want you to think about it from business terms. Would you take your money and all your effort and build a company and then give all the power to a group of men and say, if y'all want to fire me, just I'll walk out with nothing. Because that's what I did. Because I worked for two pastors who didn't reach their potential because they weren't submitted to anyone. I've seen this. I've seen how it turns out when a pastor's not submitted, and I don't think that looks good. Right? 
Say, I haven't always been, been the senior pastor. I've worked for other pastors. And I remember one time, uh, the first time I was on full-time staff at a, at a church with a pastor. And, and, and really, I, I, don't mean, I don't say this disrespectfully. I don't mean to be. Uh, he had come out of alcoholism. And essentially, he still had the kind of the persona of an alcoholic, which they can you know, kind of get real upset and be real sharp and, and verbally abusive. And so we didn't have staff meeting. We had staff infection. And um, that's the way it felt. And you just tried not to get killed. And, and, and so I, I served under him and at first I had favor there and over time that favor went away and then I was just, I was convinced he was trying to kill me. I mean, I got, I got maligned in public and chewed out for things that weren't my fault and blamed for things I didn't even know about and accused of things I had no knowledge of and just embarrassed and just everything. And finally, I felt like the Lord said, you can leave. And so I left. And then there were three or four pastors that heard I left. They called to offer me jobs. And I went and interviewed. And finally, the one that I ended up accepting was another man who had just as many issues, just a different kind of issue. Um, in fact, when, when I took the job, I told him, uh, I'm called to to plan a church. One day I'm going to do that. God has told me I can commit three years to serve you if that's what you're interested in. Uh, but know this, I'm not signing a, a non-compete. If I start a church, I cannot guarantee it wouldn't be in the same city. I want you to know up front everything about me, and you can decide if you really want me to serve on your team. He said, if you decide to plan a church, I will help you. Now, I served there three years, did three years in missions in a missions organization that I started. When we started the church, he spent until his church finally dissolved, I guess would be a nice way. He spent a lot of time preaching against me from the pulpit, saying things that aren't true. Um, there are still some people that believe, there are still some people that don't like me because of lies. There isn't any truth in them whatsoever, but you know, once you believe it, it's your truth. So, um, and so I served under him. Now I tell you that to say I went from a bad leader, or I'll say it this way, from a broken leader to a broken leader. But when, when I went to work for the second broken leader, the first interview we had, or the second interview, I guess, was at IHOP, International House of Pancakes and Prayer. And, <laughs> and, and, and I love me some pancakes. And so, so anyways, so we're meeting there. And I had, when we got ready to go, I had made a conscious decision that I would not call him pastor, that I would refer to him on, as his first name, we'll say Ted, that I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna say, okay, Ted, thank you for the meeting. Um, because I, my thought was, I don't need a pastor. I can be a pastor. I don't need a pastor. And so we, we got ready to leave, and I said, okay, um, Ted, uh, I appreciate our time. And the moment I said his name, Ted, the Holy Spirit arrested me and said, if you will not acknowledge his office, then I cannot use the gift of that office to heal you. He gave, that's a gift, Jesus, what he said is, I'm giving you a pastor. Now, he was broken. He, 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 he had his struggles, but God used him to heal me because I submitted to him. You see what I'm saying? And by the way, how do you receive a gift? You have to submit. You have to submit your will to theirs. And so God places people over you. Here's the second thing. God places people around you. God places people around you. Um, Ephesians 4.16 says, the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows. Look, what makes it grow? The connection. Do y'all see that? 
that is, is the ligaments, it's the support that we get, it's the connectivity that we have that causes us to grow. It's, in other words, it's not a pile of bones, it's a skeleton. It's not just gathered in a place, it's being connected. That's why I can say, every person, this, this verse right here, Ephesians 4.16, underline your Bible, write life groups, and go find you one, because that's what this is talking about. That you are made strong, again, reaching your purpose, reaching your potential, because you've got some people in your life that you're connected to who can spur you on, who can stir you up, who, who can irritate you if necessary, agitate you if it's needed toward your potential and your purpose. He's saying we're made strong by, by, the, by the connections that we have, that the people in my life a lot of times determine the direction of my life. In other words, let me say this. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Paul said to the Corinthians, make no mistake about it, bad character corrupts good people. Or bad people corrupt good character. Um, the, the key to success is the people you place around you, the people that you're connected with, that, that we gotta be connected to People, that's why we do life groups. Listen, you can come in and out of here on a worship experience one time a month, two times a month, three times a month, four times a month, it doesn't matter, and never be connected to people. And you are missing out on, on, on being spurred toward your potential. Having some people in your life to encourage you, like, hey, what, what is God saying in your life? And what is God showing you right now? And what, what do you think God has called you to be? And hey, you're just going to have to let that go and walk in forgiveness, or are you going to remove the blessing of God off your life? You, you need some people around you that will love you and encourage you who can actually speak some truth to you, that you need some connectivity. Solomon said, walk with the wise and become wise. But, but he said this, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, he said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can, can reach out and help them. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. You need some people in your life saying, hey, why haven't I seen you at church lately? Hey, you haven't been to Life Group. What's going on? Hey, I saw that post on Instagram. What's really going on with that? You need some connectivity in your life. You need some connection to people. This is why we do life groups. That's why I can say I want everyone in a life group because it will change your life. Life happens in a group. Um, if you want to become a Navy SEAL, interesting segue. If you want to become a Navy SEAL, it's about 18 months of training. 18 months of training. The first six of those 18 months is called uh, BUDS, or Basic Underwater Demolition Seal BUDS. Um, the first three weeks of your training will lead up to a week called Hell Week. Hell Week. It's called that because it's about as close to hell, I think, as you can get and still not be there. But it's about six days, and in those six days, um, the candidates for SEALs uh, will only sleep about four hours. Not four hours a night, four hours in six days. They're up all the time, moving all the time. They're wet. They're in the water, in the pool, in the ocean. Um, so they'll get about four hours of sleep. They'll run about 200 miles, and they spend more than 20 hours a day in physical exercise. 
Um, at any point, they can tag out just by ringing a bell, I'm done, and they can leave. About 80% of candidates never make it past Hell Week. About 80%. So what they learn to do to cope with the long days and, and the delirium and all that sets in and the anguish is they start making friends. They get real close, real fast with their buddies, with their comrades. Because they realize for us to make it through this, we're going to have to make it through it together. And such was the case with Bryce and Mark, not their real names. As Bryce tells the story, they, they were in Hell Week um, and they had come to the last day, the last exercise, which was a swim in the ocean. And he and Mark had become close. They had leaned on each other. They had encouraged each other through the whole process. And Bryce said, as I was finishing up just the last part of that swim, I'm in the ocean. And he said, my body stopped. It just wouldn't work anymore. My arms wouldn't move. My legs wouldn't, wouldn't kick. And he said, I, I thought this is, I'm going to drown because I just simply, and if you're like, how does your body just stop? Well, if you, you can go to the gym and take a 15 pound weight and start curling it. And eventually, whether it's on rep 18 or 180, your arm's going to say, nope, no more. I do that a lot of times to end a workout. I'll have a lighter weight, just go in, until it burns out, which that's when the other people always walk up when I'm straining with a 15 pound weight going. Rrr, rrr. No, really, really, this is the end. I've already done the hundreds. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> but he said, my body just stopped. And he said, I, I knew I was going down and there was nothing I could not make my body move. And he said, I looked on the shore and Mark had just finished and turned around to see where I was at. And he said, I remember his eyes caught my eyes. And he said, and in a moment, he realized the situation and he stared at me and he said, go. And Bryce said, I don't know what happened, but my body came out of the water. And he said, my arms started moving and my legs started moving and I made it to shore and I finished and he went on to become a seal. Now, what is that immaterial connection? That relationship that you can't really see, but yet we have a word for it. How does it affect your life? Well, if you ask Bryce, it could be the matter of life and death. It could be the matter of reaching your potential or falling short. That, that this immaterial, invisible thing somehow is material and, and can even be experienced and it can be visible in a way that, that when you're going down and someone says, hey, hey, I'm going to spur you a little bit to make sure you reach your potential. You can do it. Swim. Go. Forgive. Repent. Change. Find your purpose. Go back to God. Pray. Listen. Hey, I'm not giving up on you. That's that thing that is spurring someone on to their potential. And I'm telling you, none of us make our potential buyer. We need people to spur us on. We need relationships. We need people to stand with us and say, I'm not going to give up on you, even if you give up on you. I'm telling you right now that, that, that the last few years of my life have been hard probably the hardest I've ever had. And I'm telling you, the only reason I'm here, because I got some people around me that just won't let me quit. I, there's been times I wanted to quit. Yet I got some people around me that's like, no, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. You cried long enough. Get up and let's go. 
uh-uh, nope, you're going, nope, no, that's enough. And that's what we need. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Hey, you need somebody to spur you on. You need a spur and you need to be someone else's spur. We, we don't get there by ourselves. We spur one another on. Amen. You got to have your posse with you, your gang, your homies, your compadres, your peeps. You got to have them. Amen. Give Jesus some praise this morning. He is so good. Why don't you stand with me?